audio, recording device, device, talk for me, talk for me, Michael, can you talk? I'm talking! Let me hear you talk! Ah! Well, alright. Welcome to VCR, a vintage cinema rewind. We're bringing old movies to new viewers. I'm Blake. And I'd love you even if you were the color of a baboon's ass. As you wish. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's the wrong movie. (laughs) (laughs) Today we're doing, like... Literally one of the greatest movies of all time. Yeah, you know, I was listening to a YouTube video this morning about this movie where they said, this is a cult classic. I'm like, no, this is just a classic, percent. This like, is a classic. Get that cult shit out of here. So we're doing The Princess Bride as a four-note. Um, and it's definitely a movie that's had a very interesting road to where it is today, landing as like a, a just pure classic i think yeah. there was a point in time a period in time where maybe it was considered a cult classic but at this point in time it's gone come full circle to being considered one of the greatest movies of this all time this is one of those few movies where and i'm jumping ahead a bit but this is one of those few movies where like i feel like you could show it to anyone and Ye- they would get something out of it yes you know what i mean i've never heard anyone say anything bad about this movie i've never met anyone who doesn't like this movie i have met people who have not seen this movie, and more on that later, because that, that leads to a very interesting discussion. And this is actually the primer episode where we're going to talk uh, The Princess Bride, spoiler-free as possible, even though it's maybe the most quotable movie ever made. Inconceivable! And, yeah, and, and you almost guarantee you've seen memes from this movie oh, yeah. over the years, but we're, we're going to do our best. And so this episode is a primer for those of you who maybe haven't seen this movie or haven't seen it for a long time, because I know there's a lot of people as well that maybe watch this as a kid and have really fond memories of it, but aren't sure whether or not this holds up 20 years later as an adult. Spoiler alert, it does. Oh my God, It yeah. very much holds up. Very much agree. Um, that being said, do you want to talk plot? Yeah, sure. The plot, such there's really two plots running in this movie. The one plot is there's a woman named Buttercup who's considered the most beautiful woman in the world, and she falls in love with her farm boy, Wesley. He runs off to seek his fortune overseas and is allegedly killed by the dread pirate Roberts. So, in despair, she ends up betrothing herself to the villainous Prince Humperdinck. Yes, one of the greatest villain names in history. Yeah, I mean, Humperdinck. Just listen to the way it like clicks around on your tongue. Yeah. Then, while out for a ride one day, she is kidnapped by three hooligans, and then... The three hooligans in her are pursued by a mysterious man in black. So that's kind of the one story. The other story is a little boy is sick in bed and his grandfather comes in to read this story to him. And that's the framing device that kind of holds the whole movie together. And it's a really fascinating framing device as well. And and when we get into the spoiler discussion, I actually want to talk about why that works so well as a framing device because it's not something that we see very often in movies it does happen occasionally and the princess bride is actually a a real novel so it certainly is more on that later yeah so it kind of you know it kind of works in the sense that it is a real novel but i think that on this watch i really started to understand how effective it is in telling the story in a in a in the sense of it being a movie and in the sense of it blending all of these different genres yeah, and feelings and emotions yeah. and vibes and everything. It's really cool. This movie has a very, um, like, the 
tone of this movie is very quirky and sarcastic yes. and kind of kooky. And the framing device really helps that. Yes. You and it, it helps keep it on track as well. Yeah. There's different like diversions where we cut back to the grandfather and the grandson and they kind of commentate on what's going on. And that lends a lot of like charm and personality to the movie. Mm-hmm. Like, if the story of Wesley and Buttercup was like a gritty kind of Game of Thrones political drama, that kind of framing device would just deflate the whole thing. Yeah. But for like a more comic, upbeat sort of story, it really, really adds a lot to it. Yeah. 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 And like I said, I, I want to discuss it more in detail, but I actually thought the timing of when it happens is also really important and actually adds a lot to the film itself as well. Yeah, absolutely. So... Very good opener discussion, like that kind of, you know, gets us into this, but the movie is is a really, it's a bit of an anomaly in and of itself, because like you said, like there, it's got a quirkiness to it. Like it's, it's really funny. It's really heartfelt. Like it's, it's such a heartfelt movie. Like there's romance to it. There's action. There's comedy. There's sword fights. There's sword <laughs> fights. There's Andre the Giant. There's poison. Yeah. Like there's just, there's a lot going on in this movie. And for an hour and a half, it moves at just an absolute like train pace like it's it's just going the whole time like there's it just goes yeah like the amount that's packed into an hour and a half is is actually kind of incredible yeah i want to pull up a quote here um so the book has a similar framing device to the movie where a young william goldman is being told this story by his father allegedly more on that later this is how his father describes the book fencing fighting torture poison true love hate revenge Giants, hunters, bad men, good men, beautifulest ladies, snakes, spiders, beasts of all natures and descriptions, pain, death, brave men, coward men, strongest men, chases, escapes, lies, truths, passion, miracles. You almost hit on the cusp of what this movie is about. There's there's a lot going on. There's a lot going on. (laughs) Yeah, and it's very special to a lot of people. And we're going to do our best here to explain why it's so great and then break it down after you've seen this movie, why it's so great and why it works so well. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk characters and people you may know. You did a pretty good job of kind of noting all of the characters. Let's start with the framing device of the grandson and grandpa on this cold winter day while grandson's sick in bed and, and he's that... and he's sick in bed in the most 80s bedroom i've ever seen <laughs> like so much 80s memorabilia surrounding him i was just like wow <laughs> yeah it makes it like a very nostalgic movie because of how much those few scenes that take place in the 80s really do like feel like the 80s and also feel a little bit like your childhood too kind of yeah it does really capture that kind of cozy feel of being sick in bed yeah so fred savage is the child he's one of the most famous child actors of all time he's actually kind of moved more into a lot more directing roles as he's become an adult. I was going to say, I have no idea what happened to Fred Savage. Yeah, I've seen him in a few things, like as a kid, like some other stuff. He's directed a lot of TV shows, like a lot of the Disney TV shows of the last like 20 years. He also directed 19 episodes of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Wow, Fred Savage. That's awesome. Yeah, Uh, 14 episodes of Modern Family. 20 episodes of Two Broke Girls. So he's like, I moved really into the TV scene. So he's like kind of a miniature, uh, what's his name? He's like a miniature Ron Howard. 
Yeah. He went the Ron Howard route. Yeah, for sure. Good for him. He's actually, he's got a brother, Corey Savage, as well, that was also near and dear to my heart as a child because of uh, Boy Meets World. So, Oh, yeah. Yeah, the two of them being brothers, very, very important to me. He he plays the grandson. Peter Falk plays the grandpa who modern audiences aren't probably going to know super well. He passed away in 2011, but I think the 70s and 80s are really when his prominent career was like this is kind of i think a little bit more the tail end of his career although this is super important to his oh and he crushed it like for a relatively small part like he brought the house down yeah exactly so very very important actor of the 70s and 80s known for a lot of um independent films alongside john cassavetes who we've actually talked about this year oh yeah that guy he doesn't um, uh, he's probably most famous for his role as Detective Columbo. Yeah. You older listeners, and I know you're out there. That's, <laughs> that's where you're going to remember this guy from. Yeah, for sure. Just one more thing. <laughs> <laughs> and then we get into the the actual Princess Bride, the story, and the characters being portrayed here. You already talked about Princess Buttercup, the, the Princess Bride, played by Robin Wright. Robin Wright is an actor who you've seen most recently in House of Cards, I think is one of her oh, biggest roles. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right. She's incredible in House of Cards. Yeah. I. Yeah, right. I can't believe I didn't put that together in my head until just now. Yeah, playing Claire Underwood, um, my Spacey's word. wife. Good for her. And Carrie L's playing... Wesley, the farm boy, the farm boy, yes, and no one else. <laughs> wink, wink. <laughs> Who's murdered horribly by yep. the Dread Pirate Roberts? Carrie Ellis is a cool actor. I I think that I am a big fan of his career choices. Like he did this, and then he did Robin Hood Men in Tights a few years after this, uh. which is a very very funny movie. Um, Mel Brooks film. And then he was in the Saw franchise for a little bit. Do you think he's one of those actors who just kind of floats around and does whatever interests him? Oh, definitely. Definitely. Yeah, I respect that. Recently, this year, he was in Blackberry, which is a pretty cool Canadian movie. Oh, yeah. You liked that one. Yeah, you? I really liked it. That was a, and that had a bald Dennis from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. It did. Yes. Yeah. Really great performance. Really good performance from him. Mm. He also was in the latest Mission Impossible movie as well. So. Dead Reckoning. Yeah, so oh. Carrie Ells is still having like a a fun career right now, and again, I'm I'm here for it. Like, I just like the idea of Carrie Ells just being an actor who just kind of shows up in random whatever and then leaves and then comes back. Like, yeah, it almost kind of suits the character a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. And then so our our main foil to the film is Prince Humperdinck, who you already mentioned, and you and I actually very recently saw him in Dog Day Afternoon in a very different role yes but chris randon is playing prince humperdinck here both of us i think have become big chris randon fans oh yeah in the last couple months just a phenomenal character actor he really embodies the characters that he's playing i actually i on... watching this movie most recently i took some time to appreciate his performance yes he has some great zingers in this movie yeah definitely he actually voices jack skeleton in the nightmare before christmas as well which Ooh. i didn't know up until i this didn't moment. know that until just this second <laughs> that's really cool yeah 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 i, I love i love you chris sarandon yes we're we're <laughs> never big... change <laughs> <laughs> big chris sarandon fans on the pod what a range too like 
Looking at uh, Chris Sarandon's resume, it's like, so you played a talking skeleton who leads a Halloween town, you've played an evil prince, and you've played a um, transgender love interest in a crime movie. Yeah. Like, what? <laughs> like, no notes. No notes, yeah. <laughs> no, but like, Prince Humperdinck, so I want to say that Prince Humperdinck is maybe one of my favorite villains of all time. And okay. it was actually on this watch that I was paying more attention to him, partially because of Dog Day Afternoon. Mm-hmm. And I have a lot of thoughts actually on this watch because I- I've seen this movie like 30 to 50 times probably it's, in my life. It's We've both seen it quite a few times. Yeah, yeah. So it was this time I was kind of paying more attention to his performance and his character. And so I actually have a lot of thoughts that I want to talk about him when we get into the spoiler part of the podcast okay well here's a call to action i i also have a lot of thoughts on prince humperdinck yes awesome i will say as well about wesley and buttercup that at this point in time these two must be like the most attractive human beings of the 80s i know right like like to have them offsetting each other like this is incredible because like you also just feel the chemistry between them. Like, it just bleeds through the camera. There's that, those early scenes where, so the whole premise is she lives on this farm and he's the farm boy and, like, she just keeps, like, getting him to do, like, menial tasks and there's, like, this one scene where she's cooking and she's just like, farm boy, fetch that pot for me. And he just very slowly walks across the kitchen picks up the pot and hands it to her like never breaking eye contact with her and i remember being like i didn't think grabbing a pot could be this erotic but here we are (laughs) (laughs) then after that we have the three captors of buttercup in the first few minutes of the film and so the three characters are vizini inigo montoya and fezzik so I'm just going to briefly touch on each of them. Vizzini's kind of the brains of the job, the mastermind, played by Wallace Shawn, who I remember as Rex from the Toy Story franchise. Oh, is that Wallace Shawn? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I connected it now. <laughs> Man, I remember um, when we did that uh, that animated movie earlier this year, Howl's Moving Castle, when you yes. guys were like, you have a good ear for voices, Michael. Apparently, I don't. <laughs> like... <laughs> So I've always known Wallace Shawn because of his portrayal of Vizzini in this movie and as the voice of Rex, but I guess that's me alone in, in our uh, pair here. He also has just been in a lot of like TV shows in the last 20 years as well, like Gossip Girl, uh, Young Sheldon. Bojack um, Horseman. Bojack Horseman. Yeah, very... like His voice, once you've seen this movie and you've heard the un- inconceivable, you understand after that why he's I feel a voice like, actor. You know what? When we sat down to record, I'm like, I wonder if I can make it five minutes without shouting inconceivable. You literally said it in the first minute. I know. The opening and, seconds. And, I, and I'm, not even, I'm not even ashamed. <laughs> <laughs> Anigo Montoya is the sword master swordsman of the group of captors. Oh yes. He has a really great revenge side story to this. Um which thinking about that like on this watch I was like why don't we have like more side stories of revenge plots in films because it works like it's really effective to thread that throughout a a story. Yeah, and like Mora, I have thoughts on that, but I'm going to save that for the spoiler episode because okay. I have a lot of thoughts on that. Okay, cool. It actually it reminds me a little bit of Pirates of the Caribbean and Captain Jack Sparrow a little bit. Kind of, yeah. Kind of. So just just something to kind of keep in mind. It's a very great portrayal played by Mandy 
Padikin, who is most famous just, from CSI. I think it's just Mandy Padkin. Patkin, okay. Yeah, and I think you're thinking Criminal Minds. Yes, I'm probably thinking Criminal he Minds. Was, <laughs> he was Gideon on Criminal Minds for like two seasons. Yeah. You know Criminal Minds, that show that's been going on forever? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And honestly, like, this is... Oh my god, he also voiced uh, characters in Castle in the Sky as well. Wow! <laughs> Which we already talked about. It's the... all coming full circle. It's been a long year. It's been a good year and a busy year, but it's been a long year. It's been five years. Yeah. Rounding it out, we have the giant Fezzik played by Andre the Giant. This is like the one of the like scene stealing performances of the film. He's just like very comical. He's very charming. Like it's impossible to like not like this person on screen. No, I know. It's yeah. Does anybody want a peanut? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Also one of the most quotable characters of the the whole movie. No, you know who I think is the most quotable character in ego? Yeah. He has the best lines. Like, I think my favorite is, you keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. <laughs> Which, by the way, I've said to you multiple times. <laughs> you, you and Jason both, yes. Yeah. That's kind of like the round out of the six biggest characters. There is one other character that I will mention at this point. Count Tyrone Rugen, the second in command to Prince Humperdinck. And this is played by Christopher Guest, which I actually had no idea that was Christopher Guest up until, like, I started researching this film. I don't know much about Christopher Guest. Isn't he married to Jamie Lee Curtis? He is, and he is a very, very famous um, screenwriter and director, and then also appearing in actors and various occasionally shows up in places. Yeah. Yeah, so he's, like, something that if you know, like the backbone of Hollywood, then you kind of know who Christopher Guest is. But he's also somebody who like disappears into roles. Like while I was watching this movie, again, this is maybe 30 to 50th time that I've seen this movie, I was like, I wonder who Count Tyrone Rugen is. I was like, is Rugen somebody that I've ever seen in a movie before? And it turns out, yes, it is. Because he just loses himself in the role. Like I literally was like, this guy is like just crushing it in this role too. I think everybody brings it in this movie. Oh yeah. You can't fault any of these actors for not trying their best. Definitely. Definitely. And so it's a really cool performance. Actually, as a side note, getting into like this, a little bit effects and filming, but his performance is so good. And he's so lost in the role that he showed up to a party after the movie was released and Rob Reiner was like, why are you here, Christopher Guest? And he was like, because I'm in the movie. And Rob Reiner forgot that Christopher Guest was in wow. this movie because of how great he did perform. That's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> There's actually, um, I just watched an interview with Rob Reiner this week where he talks about how, I guess, getting this movie made was took a lot. Like, it did. It, this yes. movie was in development hell for like 10 or 15 years. And Rob Niner talks about going to meet with William Goldman, the guy who wrote the book, and like pitching his idea for the movie. And like, I want to talk a lot about William Goldman in our next episode because he's one of my personal heroes. But like, William Goldman just, and I say this lovingly, was just a very, very cranky man. (laughs) You know, a very, very cranky, curmudgeonly person. And he talks, Rob Niner talks about sitting in his office, like pitching all these ideas with him, being there with like his creative partner. And at one point, William Golden gets up and leaves to get a drink and Rob Rob Reiner turns to his friend. He's like, I don't know. Do do you think he likes this? I don't know. William Golden comes back, sits down. He's just like, well, this is just great. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Yeah. William Goldman is somebody we've actually talked about on this podcast before we did Butch Casting the Sundance Kid last year. And that was 
both a movie that ended up on both of our top five lists of the year because mm-hmm. it was incredible. Um, I think it was my number one, actually. It was your number one. Yeah, I'm yeah. a really, really big fan of William Goldman and his screenplays. Other films that you would know him from, Misery, he The Stepford Wives. The se- he wrote a lot of adaptations of other novels as well as writing adaptations for a lot of his own novels. Um mm-hmm. He also wrote a lot of nonfiction. Um, one of his most famous nonfiction books was Adventures in the Screen Trade, where he just talks about working in Hollywood. And he had a very famous line in that book that's been quoted around a lot. And that line is, nobody knows anything in all caps. <laughs> Meaning in the sense that like nobody in Hollywood actually knows what's going to be a hit or what's not going to be a hit. Oh, definitely. So, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, no, I have a lot to say about William Goldman in our next episode. Cool. And rounding this out, we've got Rob Reiner directing, like you already said. Mm -hmm. Rob Reiner may be the most important director of the 80s and your 80s childhood. Um, Yeah, and then he kind of fell off a bit, didn't he? Yeah, like he's done some things since then, but like he did This is Spinal Tap, he did this. We have Stand By Me, which is one of my favorites of all time. Right. Um, What other stuff? He had a kind of like, he had kind of like this five-year run that was just insane. This is this is the run that he goes on. He does This is Spinal Tap, Stand By Me, The Princess Bride, When Harry Met Sally, Misery, A Few Good Men. Seven six movies that are like considered all considered very very good films. Yeah, and William Goldman worked on Misery and A Few Good Men. I think he won a screen he won an Oscar for A Few Good Men for best, uh, uh, yes, for I believe best, you're bad, correct. best adapted screenplay. Yeah, very, very important director to my childhood. Um, He also plays Max Belfort in The Wolf of Wall Street. He plays Leonardo DiCaprio's dad in that film. Oh, yeah. (laughs) It's such a random appearance. You're like, wait a second, it's not Rob Reiner. Wait, hey. (laughs) But yeah, really cool little cameo there. And speaking of cameos, there is some other cameos in here. Billy Crystal being... The most prominent one, Miracle Max. Miracle Max, yeah. very, very hilarious. Five minutes of screen time with him. Bye, bye, boys. Have fun storming the castle. <laughs> <laughs> yes, one of the funniest five minutes of the entire movie. Oh yeah. So, who is this movie for, and does it hold up? Yes, to both, everyone, literally every human being at some point in their life should have the pleasure. The pleasure, the privilege, but also the privilege of seeing this film. Mm. Yes, it's one of the most quotable movies of all time. It's, it's a movie that because there's so many different genres and tones and emotions, you could watch this honestly pretty much any time in any emotional state and really, really have a fun time with it. You know, it's funny. I think a few years ago there were rumblings that they were planning on remaking this movie, and like a bunch of people came forward and spoke out against that yeah like i know um it's funny um carrie ells the guy who played wesley he Mm -hmm. tweeted like there's a shortage of perfect movies in the world it would be a pity to damage this one right yeah and then ted cruz like slimy ted cruz actually spoke out in defense of that (laughs) and that put me in a weird position because i agreed with ted cruz about something I did not think on this episode we would be talking about Ted Cruz today, but I don't consider it a privilege to mention him, but I (laughs) saw that. (laughs) Yeah, like, so that's the thing is this movie is infinitely watchable. It's infinitely rewatchable because of how entertaining it is. Mm -hmm. It just kind of like also is one of those like backbones of our culture type of films. Yeah. Here's the thing 
I also think that it's inc- it holds up incredibly well because there's not a lot of special effects that they needed necessarily. Um, no, there's no like bad early CG or anything like that. Yeah, exactly. So it's more just like the different characters all interacting with each other that really makes this film shine. Mm-hmm. So now here's my pitch. So this is, I'm going to tell you a little story and bear with me. Okay. Um, so I was watching this movie last weekend preparing for this pod and I was just past the greatest sword fight ever seen. Yeah, yeah I'll agree with that. And I was sitting there just smile on my face ear to ear just enjoying the ride and i looked over to jess and i was like man this really is one of the best movies of all time right and then so i thought to myself i bet you my buddy kelvin who hasn't seen any movies ever nope. um, has not seen this film and so i texted him and i said hey kelvin have you seen the princess bride and he said no but i i think that i should watch that sometime and i was like it's literally one of the greatest movies of all time and i knew he was sick with covid last weekend too oh damn. so I, I knew he didn't have anything going on so i was like kelvin you should watch this movie. It's it's really, really good. And so I didn't hear from him. And then the next day he texted me and he said, hey, I got to tell you, unfortunately, my girlfriend and I did not watch the movie together because I decided to show her the trailer. And he was like, the trailer of this movie is really bad. And it makes the movie look really bad. And we decided not to watch it. Wow. So that got me actually really riled up. Because A, because it was like, you know, that's fine. Don't like take it my recommendations for word, uh, for my word. You know, it's not like I recommend movies professionally for a living here. Yeah. But um, <laughs> semi-professionally. <laughs> yeah. But like, so I, it upset me a little bit there. And it also upset me because, again, this is one of the great movies of all time. And I, I can I can't fault people for not seeing things like especially you know, some of my friends, like Kelvin, for example, he's Dutch. He actually comes from the Netherlands, like he wasn't born in Canada. And so he missed a lot because of if your family isn't like in a specific culture, like Western culture, if they're not watching Western Hollywood movies, they're not going to like, you know, p- try to pass those movies on to their kids. Right. And so you can't really fault someone for not seeing a movie before they were even born. Right. And yeah. culture that they haven't even that they don't even live in. Right. Like it would be it would be like somebody saying, oh, you haven't seen every Kurosawa film. What are you doing with your life? And it's like, well, you know, I'm not Japanese. Like uh, I'm trying to get to those now, but I've seen a couple of them. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but, you know, like I'm, I'm trying to get I'm trying to expand my my horizons a little bit now. But that's here nor there. But here's the thing. I I have said this before on this podcast. Do not watch movie trailers. They're either they give away the plot or you have to remember why movie trailers exist. Movie trailers are a marketing point to try to sell people to go see this movie in movie theaters. They're not trying to sell a movie, not necessarily, like especially if you watch an original trailer, it's not speaking to the audience that you are at your your point in time it's speaking to the audience at the time the the movie came out in the area that they're trying to target so if you're watching a 40 year old movie trailer chances are you are not the target audience of who is going to see this movie at that point in time right i kind of want to watch the trailer now just to see what it looks like so i did watch it and so there's another part to this as well actually okay you need to remember when you're thinking about movie trailers is that the director of the film and the, the cinematographer the writer they aren't the ones making the trailer either so it comes down to a marketing team also deciding with the movie what how they want to present the movie in 30 seconds to two minutes right 
Right. I will agree. So I watched the trailer after this, and it is one of the worst movie trailers I've ever seen in my wow. entire life. And actually, famously, William Goldman had a problem with how this movie was marketed and said that Hollywood actually infamously did not know how to market this film and missed out on a lot of money at the time that this movie came out because there's almost no comedy in the trailer. It's just like every pocket of time between comedy, like every little component of the film that's not quite a comedy piece or like between two really great moments is what they took. And it gives away the plot while also not showing any of the heart of the film. Okay, so they made it look like what? Just like a generic swashbuckling action movie? Yeah. Huh. It's honestly one of the worst movie trailers I've ever seen. And again, it's not for us. Like it was for the audience of 19, what did this movie come out? Like 1987? 87. Yeah. So, oh my God, please never watch this. And so this got me thinking. Now I know some of us are visual learners, myself included. Mm-hmm. And you and I sit here every week or every few weeks or Jason and I and we we separated this podcast into two components because really at the heart of this podcast we're trying to recommend old movies to people who haven't seen them yet it's our tagline yeah and so there's this part and then there's part two where we do the deep dive after you've seen the movie you know you and I sit here and talk about how great the movie is or who it's for for 20 minutes or 30 minutes kind of thing but some of us are visual learners and I can understand that So what I challenged you, because this is something that I do during my research before you and I sit down usually, is I go on to YouTube and there's a movie clips channel that has taken almost every movie in existence, found the 10 to 12 most crucial parts of the movie, clipped it down to like two minutes and just showed like two minute scenes of of really important parts of the film. I guarantee you, you've been on that YouTube channel. Yes. Even by accident. Yes. Even by accident. Yes. And so... I think what you and I talked about this separately going forward that we're going to do is recommend a two-minute movie clip scene of a movie that best kind of sells the movie to an audience today. And we're going to include that clip, I think, in the episode's description so that you can check it out. And also, not only so that you can check it out, but so if you want to watch a movie that somebody hasn't seen before and they're unsure of whether or not they want to check the movie out, you can pull that clip up instead of a trailer from 40 to 60 years ago. A trash trailer that no one wants to see. Yeah. Show something that actually truly represents the film. And so I asked you and and maybe you want to share which two-minute scene you would share of the Princess Bride to uh, sell for this movie. Me, for me, it's no question. It's the sword fight between Inigo Montoya and the Man in Black. Yes. Okay, cool. I think um, I checked, and I think on the movie trailer YouTube channel, it's just, it's called, like, I Am Not Left-Handed. So why do you think that that would be what you would show to people? Like, what what's the selling feature of that scene? I think it just really gets the witty, kind of swashbuckling tone of the movie. Because, like, it's a great sword fight, but it's also, like, you know, there's kind of, like, cheesy music. It's on a mountaintop. There's guys flipping around. Like, there's witty banter between the two parties. Like, if you had to, like, get a fingerprint for this movie, that would be a pretty accurate fingerprint. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's higher action. Yeah. I, I could definitely see where that scene would definitely be a good selling feature. I'm going to argue, and I'm not actually, you might have even sold me on that scene being the, the key scene. I'm going to argue the scene called, if we only had a wheel, wheelbarrow on YouTube, being okay. the scene that sells it. It's the scene where 
Montoya, Fezzik, and Wesley are thinking about how they're going to storm cast this castle. It's the scene where they give Wesley the Miracle Max's remedy to wake him up. Oh, yeah. And so it's a really funny scene, and... They basically explain to Wesley everything that's going on. It's all like very fast paced. What is Inigo's line where he's like, let me explain. No, there is no time. Let me paraphrase. Yes. So (laughs) even like that moment is in the scene. And I think that it does a really good job because it throws out all of these ideas without any context that are still really funny. Like Fezzik says to Wesley, well, you've been mostly dead all day. And it's just like, it's really funny. (laughs) Yeah, go easy on him. He's been mostly dead all day. Yeah, Yeah. it's a really funny line. And again, it just works out to all of these like little things. Like they bring up the princess, they bring up Buttercup, they bring up the six-fingered man. Like there's all of these ideas of the film there's all of these little plot threads that they throw out there but they don't have a lot of context but it's still really funny and it still kind of gives you an idea of what the film is about and i think that's in my opinion why i was sold so much on that scene being the scene that's a good selling point of the film so in that it's funny but you're not miss like it's not going to spoil too much for you no it's not but but it's also giving you an idea of what the plot of the film is about true my only argument for that is that it's a little too close to the climax so you might a couple things might be spoiled for you yeah i mean potentially no matter what scene you're gonna watch there's gonna be potential spoilers right but but i think that watching a two-minute clip is a better representation of the film and if you're gonna watch the trailer you're probably gonna have large chunks of the film maybe even the final scene spoiled for you already anyway yeah, I mean, if William Goldman hated it, then, well, spoiler alert on William Goldman, he hated everything he did, so, <laughs> but more on that later. <laughs> Fair enough. What? Okay, we'll, we'll talk about separate which scene we end up putting in the description, but okay, I, I could I could see us putting either one of those in there, or okay. maybe both. Maybe we'll just put both of them, Mike's, yeah, Mike's recommendation Mike's clip. Recommendation, your recommendation. Yeah. So, moving on, when to watch. You can literally watch this movie anytime, like I said before. You could be risen from a dead sleep at four in the morning after you've just had your heart broken, and you could still watch this movie and enjoy it. Yeah, that's really oddly specific, but... (laughs) (laughs) But... Listen to my other (laughs) podcast. There are two movies that are on my all-time favorite movie list that I could literally watch at any time if I happen to be scrolling through Netflix or Disney Plus where this film is on that I almost would always stop and chuckle myself and think, yeah, I could probably watch this now. Yep. It's The Princess Bride and it's The Big Lebowski. And those, yeah, no, I'd agree with both of those. Those those are the two, my in my opinion, the two most rewatchable films of all time. Also two of the most quotable movies of all time. Like, yeah. I feel like you can bring up any scene in this movie and I'll remember some dialogue from it. Absolutely. You know? like, yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so when to watch, very easy. Uh, where to watch, like I said, Disney Plus. That's your go-to right now. I've got it on DVD as well, which is, you know, I, I think that a lot of people probably have this one on DVD. It's one of the most sold films DVDs, ever in yeah. history. So. Well, I think home video is where this movie really took off in exactly. the first place. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, you know, be a part of that uh, that wave. Apparently, there's a really cool 4K version of this that I need to oh. check out at some point, so... Interesting. Yeah. Apparently, over the pandemic, uh, Patton Oswalt hosted like a. He got all the actors together over Zoom and yeah. they reenacted the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like called The Princess Bride at Home or something like that. Something like that. And apparently, like Mandy Padkin and Ega Montoya just freaking killed it. I like, believe. Forty it. years later, he had <laughs> he still had the six handed sword and everything. Nice. And he got really into it. Well, this is 
his favorite role of all time, so I would believe that. I certainly would as well. And that's that. That's the the primer, the as spoiler-free as possible version of us to talk about this movie and trying to recommend it to you as possible. Please go check this out. This is honestly one of the greatest movies of all time. It's you're doing yourself a disservice not understanding all of the memes about why this movie is so great. Yeah, and just just think about it like that. Like to our younger listeners, think about it like that. Think it's about- an hour and a half. Yeah. It's an hour and a half. You know, if you need a break from the 2023's three and a half hour movies, this is the one. Like it's so it's so consumable. It's such a coherent story in an hour and a half. Yeah. It's not like John Wick 4 where you get to an hour and a half and we're entering our second giant set piece <laughs> exactly it's it's a nice break from the longer movies not that i don't like them it's just not all audiences connect with them no cool we'll see you next week we certainly shall have uh, fun storming the castle <laughs> wait, wait 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 wait. let me say a better one um <laughs> have fun storming the castle boys. boys no no i actually i want to read one of my favorite quotes before we sign off from prince humperdinck um Tyrone, you know how much I love watching you work, but I've got my country's 500th anniversary to plan, uh, my wedding to arrange, my wife to murder, and Gilder to frame for it. I'm swamped. <laughs> and then Count Tyrell, like, very sympathetically, or excuse me, Count Tyrell, Count, Count Rugen very sympathetically says, get some rest. If you don't have your health, you don't have anything. Yeah. <laughs> it's such a silly moment. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. See you next time. Bye.